Welcome to the John Brown University Chapel podcast, recorded in the historic Cathedral of the Ozarks in Salem Springs, Arkansas. This week's chapel message is from Dr. Carrie Balzer. Dr. Balzer is professor of biblical studies at JBU. Well, good morning. Morning, it's kind of a, huh. Morning, JBU. Good to see you. Can't really see you, but I know you're there. So, this is my 22nd year teaching at JBU. I know. He's old. Yeah. 22 years. In fact, 22 years ago, Tracy and I lived in Redmond, Washington, where uh, it's a suburb of Seattle. In August uh, 1987, I was attending a conference in Kansas City, and the speaker was Susan Muto, and she asked us, what would you give up so that Christ could have his way in your life? What would you give up so that Christ could have his way in your life? So that evening, I went back to my room and began to write a list of all the things I valued about my life in Redmond that I could give up. Among the items on my list were things like my big office. You know, it's 22 years ago, but it's funny the things you remember putting on your list. I liked my big office. I had this awesome cherry wood desk. That was very cool. My computer, it was, it was big. It was big. Back for back in the day, it was big, and it weighed like as much as a car. Okay, not quite a car. A very small car. I like my office. I like my computer. Now, Redmond is the home of Microsoft, and uh, so everyone on staff, we had people in our church who worked at Microsoft, so everyone on staff had a nice, a very, very sweet computer that was stocked with, loaded with Microsoft programs. Um, I also put my title, the title that was on my door, I put that on my list. I was the pastor of Christian formation at a growing church between 800 and 1,000 people. I was on staff. I wasn't the senior pastor. I was the pastor of Christian Formation. I loved that title on my door, Pastor of Christian Formation. Anyway, I made my list, got on my knees and said, Lord, if you want me to give up any of this so that you can have your way in my life, I'll give it up. The very next morning, I get a call from Tracy, who's back in Seattle, and she said, we got a call from JBU, and, and they want us to fly out and interview for a campus ministry position. You, you see, I know I was listing things that I liked about my job and my life at Redmond, but the fact is I'd been feeling pretty trapped in this job. There were things about it that just were not healthy, that were not good for me, for our family. And so I'd been sending out my resumes like crazy to Christian colleges all over the country, and, and I just hadn't heard anything. So this was like, to me, this was like, <gasps> cool. So wow, I thought silently. Then I asked Tracy, when do, they want us to, when do they want me? When do they want me to come and interview? Well, actually, Tracy replied, um, they want me to come and interview and you to come along. Ah, okay. So in that moment, I saw everything on my list 
my office, my computer, the title on my door go flying out the window. Even the window went flying out the window. <laughs> I did not see that coming. When I made my list and prayed that prayer, that was not what I had in mind. But I put it on the list. I prayed the prayer. Why was I surprised? Now, 22 years later, Tracy is the director of Christian Formation. Yep, she got the job. And I happily serve as a member of the Division of Biblical Studies where I love, where I love teaching theology. Um, I teach uh, two ET classes, seminar in theological studies, uh, Gateway, and Honors Integrated Theology with Dave Vila. <laughs> How cool is that? I know every morning I get up when I teach that class and go, I get to hang out with Dave Vila. That's the best thing. Um, anyway, God rescued us from a challenging situation in Seattle and brought us here. And our passage from Acts 5 this morning is also a rescue story. So take your Bibles and turn to Acts 5, 17 to 21. And as you're turning there, um, this is the second persecution in the book of Acts. Greg Robinson talked about the first one last week. And notice also, or maybe remember from New Testament survey, that in this section of Acts are a series of attacks on the church. Some of them are from within, and some of them are from without. So right at the beginning of the chapter, chapter 5, we see the story of Ananias and Sapphira. Now that's attack from within. And now in our passage, we're going to see attack from without, uh, the Sadducees, um, and we're going, to, we're going to read about that. So let, let's read this. Um, I'll read it, and you read along. Then the high priest and all his associates, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But during the night... An angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go stand in the temple courts and tell the people the message of this new life. At daybreak, they entered the temple as, as they had been told and began to teach the people. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we look through this Bible story and other Bible stories this morning, Help us to see the ways that we are held captive by powers that are outside of us as well as forces that are inside of us. And help us to see those things and begin to be willing to move beyond them and to allow you to deliver us from those things that keep us from being who you want us to be, the people who begin to look like Christ. And in his name we pray. Amen. All right, so this situation with JBU 22 years ago now, um, and so in that moment when I saw all those things I'd put on my list flying out that window, little could I know how great things would become so quickly. Um, we were delivered from, like I said, a, a difficult situation in Seattle, and now we're here at JBU, surrounded by a wonderful Christian community, then and now. And we've made some of the greatest friends that we have in our whole lives. Um, so 22 years later, Tracy is the director, and I, am a, I'm a, a, I teach in the 
Division of Biblical Studies. Um, and as we think about this rescue story that we just read, I want you to also think about, so keep that in your mind, but I also want you to think about other biblical rescue stories. I mean, the Bible's full of them. Can you think of some? Can you shout some out? What are some rescue stories? Daniel in the lion's den. What else? Boom. What else? Yeah, Joseph. You mean when he was running from Potiphar's wife or which time? (laughs) Help! Yeah, I mean that, we have a God who delivers, right? I mean, over and over and over. We We could keep listing those all day long because God delivers his people over and over again. I, for me, um, the Exodus story came to mind first. I guess I can, there we go. The Exodus story came to mind first. So this is a painting of the, the night when the seventh plague hits. Remember the seventh plague? Um, it's when the firstborn from each family dies. And so this is a picture of, of that. Really, even before the people start dying, this is the, kind of the angel of death coming down in the clouds. And, and I kind of thought, man, that looks like a, a, one of those weird spring days in Arkansas when the sky turns gray-green and the siren goes off and you run for your closet or your basement. Um, well, this was even worse for the firstborn uh, and for the people of Egypt. So I, I think of that one. Um, I also think of um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Got that one. Um, So in this picture, you can clearly see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Um, So I think that's the thing. Yep, so they're right there. And you kind of, this is different. This is a Russian icon um, dating from the 1500s. And and this is different from the way I had thought of the furnace. So you can see the, so they're standing in the furnace. You can see the three guards down here um, being killed by the heat the extra heat of the fire. Remember, um, Nebuchadnezzar wanted to make it extra hot, so it was super-duper hot. And there's Nebuchadnezzar over there. Um, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are in this fiery furnace. Oh, along with um, one who looks like a son of God, one who looks like a heavenly being. Uh, different um, translations translate that a little differently. But there was a fourth member in the furnace who protected Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Um, so then I also thought of, along with um, Exodus and along with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, Daniel. So that was the third one I thought about, Daniel in the lion's den. Um, and so uh, here's that painting. Oh, actually, this is, sorry, this is back to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. This one's a little different. Um, so this is a 16th century. Uh, Jakob Willems uh, painted this. And so, so here's... Um, Nebuchadnezzar over here. Here's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Um, so this whole thing is the fiery furnace. And I think this is the moment that the, uh, the angel or the other heavenly being brings them out of the furnace unharmed. And so they're probably smoking and they smell of smoke and they're maybe, except they weren't even singed, we're told. And they didn't smell like smoke. How bizarre is that? Um, so that, but that's that one. Um, what's the last one then? Oh, yeah, I said Daniel in the lion's den. Okay, so this one is by Paul Rubens. And for you art students, isn't this so Paul? It's so, so Rubens. Um, it is. I mean, because look at Daniel. Well, first of all, he looks pretty concerned. And I think it's because he's nearly naked. I think it's not the lions because he knew he prayed and the lions' mouths were a little bit. No, it's, he, he really didn't dress for the occasion. Um, 
So then the story we did today was um, Paul and, uh, not Paul, Peter and John uh, being rescued from prison. So here's uh, Peter being taken out uh, of jail by the angel, and actually that's probably not Peter, but um, this is the only one I could, this is the only painting I could find that looked like. I think he's already taken John out. John's already out of prison, and he comes back for Peter, so that's what's going on here. Um, but they're taken out of jail, jail, and then the angel tells them to go preach uh, in the temple. Why do we look at these three, four different rescue scenes? As many of you remember from New Testament survey, at this point, the point of John and Peter being put in jail, all of Israel is under the power of Rome. Caesar is the ruler. But the Jewish authorities were left to manage all religious activities, temple observance, and matters of Hebrew morality. These religious authorities were divided into two parties, the Sadducees and the Pharisees. The Sadducees were part of the Hebrew aristocracy and included the high priest. So one of the first questions I look at when I read this passage is who is it that's doing the persecution? And it's the party of the Sadducees. These aristocrats, one of the two ruling parties, along with the Pharisees, um, the Sadducees tended to be the ones who were wealthier and had public office and things like that. But why were the Sadducees so jealous? Why were they so jealous that they arrest John and Peter and throw them in jail? Well, several reasons. But the reasons are found in the previous text. So we have to look back in Acts just a little bit. There we go. To Acts 5, 12 to 16. And 12 to 5, 16, notice a couple of things. One, the apostles were performing. Why were they jealous? It's because the apostles were performing signs and wonders. And signs and wonders is really an important phrase because this goes back, way back into the Old Testament. In fact, when you read Exodus, it says there that the Israelites were delivered when God performed signs and wonders. And so is Luke who's writing Acts, thinking back to Exodus? I think he is. And when he puts the word signs and wonders that John and Peter were performing, I think he's thinking of Exodus. But then there's more to it than that. I think the Sadducees were jealous because the people, not the Christians, but the rest of the people, held the apostles in high respect. They really thought they were great. They weren't ready to follow them yet, well, some of them, yes, but the, most of the public, the people um, were watching this and, and not participating with them, not becoming one of them, but they were respecting them. And so the, the Sadducees were jealous of that. They wanted that respect for themselves. And third, I think they were, looked at what the apostles were doing. People were bringing crowds of people were bringing their relatives, demon-possessed people, sick people, and what did the apostles do? It says they healed them all. So the Sadducees were jealous, uh, not only that the apostles were doing these cool things, that, that people held them in high regard, or even that many people were coming to Christ. I mean, all those things bothered them, um, but man, the fact that, that they had these incredible results, it says they healed all of them. And the Sadducees weren't healing anybody. And so they were jealous of Peter and John. So, 
Let's look back at a few of these other miracles in the Old Testament and see what they can help us see about the story we're looking at now. And ask the question, we see John and Peter rescued from prison, but not just rescued, rescued so that, rescued in order to, rescued that they might go do what they were doing before, doing what they've been called to do, doing what I think God made them to do. So how is that like or unlike some of these other miracles? Is there a so that in these other rescue stories? Now, of course, God rescued John and Peter because he loves them and cares for them. And when God rescues you, and some of you can remember some rescue stories in your own life, when you were held captive by something, and we're gonna come back to that later, but when you were held captive by something and God set you free, God rescued you. And so let's look at some of these stories in the Old Testament and ask that question. What was holding them back? And why did God want to rescue them? So, in the story of the Exodus, the Israelites had been held captive for generations. They'd been slaves to the Egyptians for generations. God said to Moses, I want you to go tell Pharaoh to set my people free so that they can come worship me in the desert. He says that seven different times. Ten plagues, seven of of them are preceded by God telling Moses, go tell Pharaoh, set my people free so that. You know, we remember that set my people free part, but we often don't remember that there was a so that. God wanted to set his people free, yes, because he loved them, yes, because he cared for them, but also so that they could go and worship him. So notice the grace here that pours through this story. Yes, the grace of God is on those people and he, he wants to pour more grace on them, but even the rescue isn't the only grace. There's also grace in going to the desert and worshiping God. I mean, what an experience for the Israelites to go and worship God. After being captive for so many generations, now they go to the desert, to Mount Sinai, and worship God and see this incredible, what? Signs and wonders. So grace is in the release, but it's also in what comes after. So they're so jealous, they arrest them in many ways like the story of the Exodus. Well, how is it like the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Yes, God rescues them, but he rescues them so that they can go and serve him. And serve him they do. They become high administrators in the kingdom. How about Daniel in the lion's den? Of course God loved him and cared for him and poured out his grace on Daniel and closed the mouth of the lions. But I think what's really interesting is when Darius... Release, and I like this painting, look at that. So he's, he's, he looks like he's looking up there toward the uh, opening, you know, and wondering, you know, am, is, God gonna, is God gonna act? I think he is going to act. Is he gonna act? Here's all the lions. So he's not only in captivity, but gosh, I mean, this is, this is really scary stuff. So I mean, that's why I think uh, Paul Rubens put that look of anguish on his face. He's in a cave full of lions and, and it doesn't look good. 
But when Darius looks in the cave and says, Daniel, are you still there? Are you okay? Has your God saved you? Daniel says, yes, God has saved me. I'm fine. So they pull him out of the cave, and later Darius makes a proclamation. He says that Daniel's God should be worshipped everywhere across the kingdom because this God, the God of Daniel, rescues and saves and performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has closed the mouths of the lions. And then our passage this morning. Yes, the angel comes. Peter and John have been thrown in prison because they were preaching the good news of Jesus Christ to the congregate, to the people who were gathered in the temple courts. And then the Sadducees who were jealous throw them in jail and the angel of the Lord comes and opens the doors and takes them out and tells them, go and teach in the temple. So notice what happens here. There is uh, the need for divine deliverance, there's an angelic rescue, and then there is a divine command. The, The angel says, I'm not just getting you out of prison so you can be free, I'm getting you out of prison so that you can go and do what God has built you to do grace upon grace upon grace because in the doing of the thing that God wants us to do we experience his love we experience that life with God we experience God's best for us Galatians 5 1 said it is for freedom that Christ has set you free stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. In Galatians, of course, it's the Judaizers who are telling the new Christians, you need to do all the Jewish stuff to really be saved. And Paul says, no, don't, don't fall back into slavery. So my question is, what's enslaving you today? Is it, is it an outward force like it was for Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or the Israelites who were held in captivity? There are outward forces that keep us from serving God the way he wants us to serve him. There are outward forces that that influence us, that shape us, that keep us from doing what God wants us to do. Maybe your situation is like that. You have something that's, maybe it feels like it's out of your control that is pressing in on you. Of course, all of us have culture that is pressing in on us. In some ways, culture holds us captive. And if that's where you are today, then then seek God. Look for help. Talk to people around you. We have a great staff. Talk to somebody. Seek that help. But what about these inward forces? What is holding you back? Maybe it's not something outside. Maybe it's something inside. Maybe it's fear. What will people think? What will my parents say? What will my professors or my friends, what will they say? Maybe it's just, I don't know. I don't know what God wants me to do. Maybe it's that that sense of confusion. What's holding you back? Seek God. Seek help. So what is holding you back from doing what God wants you to do and becoming who God wants you to be? If it's an inward barrier, maybe it's your stuff. Remember that list that Susan Muto asked us to write 22 years ago, asked me to write 22 years ago in Kansas City? Maybe you need to go make a list. 
Maybe your stuff is holding you back. You know, stuff is funny that way. The more tightly we hold on to our stuff, the more and more we find out that it's not so much that we're holding tightly to it, but more and more it's holding tightly onto us. If you want anything more than God, you will always be disappointed when you get it. Because ultimately, God does not want us to be satisfied with our stuff or with position or recognition or popularity or any of those things that might be holding us captive. He wants us to be freed so that we can go and serve Him, worship Him and serve Him, love Him and serve Him, love God and love your neighbor. So not just God, but love your neighbor. When you've been set free, you remember these times and it enabled you to go and love God more and love your neighbor better. Stuff is funny. It holds us captive. It takes time and energy and we worry about our stuff and we wish we had other people's cooler stuff. So maybe you need to go back to your room and make a list. God rescues his people from whatever holds them captive because he loves them and he wants them to love and serve him. Haley Robeson was right. What you do with your weeks and your days and your hours is shaping you. Are you doing those things that God wants you to do? Are you doing those things that God wants you to do? And are you being shaped into the person that God wants you to be? Are you being shaped into the image of Jesus Christ? Or are you being held back by something what is it? Write it down. Make a note. God wants to rescue you. He's been doing that for a very long time. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you have spoken to us this morning through this passage of Scripture. And so we ask, even now, as we're getting ready to leave this place and move on to the next agenda item in our day, Help us just set aside a moment where we make a commitment to go back to our room sometime today and think about this, journal about this, maybe make a list of the stuff that's holding us back, stuff that's outward and stuff that's inward. We know that you desire our freedom so that we are free to love you and serve you and free to love and serve our neighbors. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Thanks for listening to this episode of the John Brown University Chapel Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes or whatever platform you're listening on, and we'd love it if you would leave us a review.